Hi, welcome to Talking in Bed. I'm your host, Jen, and this is an opinion-based podcast. I share my thoughts about whatever's on my mind, and sometimes you might disagree with my opinion, or you might think I'm misinformed or ill-informed. If you ever feel frustrated by that, just remember that this is not a research-based piece of journalism. I'm just a woman with an opinion and a microphone. Hope you enjoy! Hi guys, um, welcome to the show. I, uh, obviously, obviously, whatever, uh, I haven't uploaded in a couple of days and I recorded an episode yesterday. It was on American, like, folklore and like, uh, like legends or like characters that are beloved in American storytelling and um I just got into some topics that I felt like I wasn't knowledgeable enough about to talk about and I just didn't feel good about (laughs) putting that out there I didn't say anything you know bad but I just didn't feel confident about what I was saying um and I don't have a plan for today and I uh obviously I'm having like a clearing of the throat thing going on um in the weather update, <laughs> it's kind of like unseasonably, well, I wouldn't say it's unseasonably warm, but it's warmer than it has been. So I kind of feel like the the effects of the polar vortex have passed. It's going to get up to 50 degrees Fahrenheit today, and so that's pretty warm, you know? Um, I mean, it'll drop back down right after, but, um, it's, it's early. I've been sleeping pretty well, like from night until morning at some point. I went to sleep pretty early last night and now that I have been on this show whatever like now the the trend for me has been to uh have a a plan of what I'm going to talk about I feel kind of funny like going at it without any kind of topic in mind um and I'm I'm already feeling this sense of wanting to like stop recording just listened to the podcast that I was listening to, uh, which was How Did This Get Made? The episode on From Justin to Kelly. It's an older episode. Um, and, or my instinct is to uh, stop recording, look for a topic to talk about, 
and um, and then come back later. Partly that's because as I'm starting out, I'm feeling a little bit tired. And partly because I'm standing in the kitchen. We don't have... We don't have like a wide kitchen, so it's really just, it's a narrow kind of uh, kitchen and we don't have any chairs in here. And I can't really go into the rooms that have chairs because my husband is sleeping, the walls are thin, and I mean it's only 6.20 in the morning. I don't want to wake him up with talking. Um, so I'm feeling this kind of pull to stop doing this. But then another part of me is interested in try, trying to, you know, I'm interested in this process of talking through it. And I'm thinking that this is also part of what this is, is me, um, kind of figuring out where I am today, right now, in this moment. Now, so the episodes that have a real focus, like a topic that I'm talking about and I'm not talking about myself or my kind of inner experience, in a sense, they've kind of like distracted me. I like doing them. I like it when I have a topic that I'm interested in and I can talk about that. Um, but you know, they've kind of pulled me out of this practice of really being like aware, internal, externalizing the internal, which was sort of the initial reason for this show was externalizing the internal, just like I've done in therapy for 10 years and just exploring what is happening in this moment like a Jackson Pollock painting so not knowing where I'm going and that really forces me to um, talk about the true feelings that I have in this moment and so now I'm thinking that maybe I maybe instead of having um, just all focused episodes I should break it up a little bit more so that I do have more opportunities to do this because this is a unique thing to do. I think it's like live journaling or whatever. And, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the thought on that, uh, I was hoping there was more gas in that tank. Um, now what I am looking at, <laughs> that's our, rather than in externalizing the internal, I'm going to tell you what I'm looking at, which is uh, like we have pasta and rice in these glass containers. Um because we've had issues with those little moths, you know. I, I really hate moths. I have like a... It, it's a, probably an irrational 
reaction to moths. And it's always been that way. And my sister is the same way. I have sort of managed to get it a little bit under control. Like I used, we used, I, both of us, and I'm less so, she still feels that way, but uh, I used to hate butterflies. Just anything that sort of was fluttery <clears throat> and was unpredictable. Um, I really hated those kind of insects and I've learned to appreciate butterflies a little bit more um moths literally it makes me feel sick to think of a moth and they I mean I find them like sickening to look at there was a meme going around like I don't know how long maybe in the past two years, there was some moth meme going around on Reddit and stuff. And, um, I mean, that was horrible for me. <laughs> you know, I would get, like, tricked over and over again. And, um, the worst moth experience that I ever had was, uh, my sister and I are three and a half years apart. So there was one year that we were in high school together, my freshman year, her senior year. And she drove, she had a car, she could drive. And she would drive me to school and we would actually pick up, uh, one of my friends would come with us. So we were going around to go pick her up. She was in the car. And we started driving down her street and I don't know, we were just chatting, singing, whatever. And all of a sudden, a giant moth uh, from out of nowhere started to crawl across the dashboard. And she and I literally both started screaming at the top of our lungs. She stopped the car. We both jumped out. I mean, it was like maybe seven in the morning. We were in the street screaming. I have, I believe that when, <laughs> that when I started screaming, the moth started to fly toward me or something. Uh, you know, it could have just moved and I felt it was <laughs> on the attack. It was, it was huge. I mean, I, it's hard to express the size of it. It wasn't like a Luna moth, but it was a large, it was a very large moth. And I, I just, no clue where it had come from. You know, it just, still, that memory is like, it gives me the creepy crawlies. You know, I really can't stand that. But um, it was, I've kind of gotten it under control a little bit. Now, what that brings to mind is the insect Armageddon, which is not, it's not a good, I, I've read about the insect Armageddon because it kind of is related to climate change. In a sense, it's related to climate change. Um, But it's also probably more directly related to human behavior. So whereas climate change as we've talked about, there 
climate change is something that happens naturally and it can also be expedited by human beings um and that you know can lead to bad things you know when we talked about the little ice age and the medieval warming period i imagine that a lot of people lost habitats that they were living in that a lot of people were displaced it's just also that there were less people on planet earth at the time but anyway um so you know whether or not you believe that climate change is caused by humans expedite whatever i'm using the word expedited it might be incorrect speed it up by humans or if you feel that it's a completely natural occurrence we have far more people on the planet and regardless of how it's being caused the effects will be and are starting to be like astronomical because you're going to have huge communities of people who are losing their habitats i i don't know maybe that's not the right word because that's kind of like it's kind of like where animals live right they're going to be losing their homes their cities their towns and all of those people are going to have to go somewhere they're going to have to go inland um so climate change now will have a very different effect on the human population than it did in the past just a little note but with the insect number getting a couple of years ago a german research team did um a study in which i don't have all the details on that over a period of time they studied the number of insects I imagine they studied the type and you know all the <laughs> pertinent information that you would need and they wanted to know <clears throat> what the population was like in some they have these little like a nature preserve basically in Germany um, and they found that over time the insect population was decreasing and there have been other kind of anic i can't really say anecdotal studies let's say studies that are based somewhat more on anecdotal experience um that have looked at this there have been other actual studies also that see that in particular parts of the planet insect numbers are decreasing and um, one of the ways that you can tell that is because of, what do they call it? It's just like the windshield test or something. And basically, it's think back to when you were a kid and you would drive on the highway with your family. And think about how many bugs would hit your windshield. And now think about how your windshield looks when you drive on the highway now and likely there's a lot fewer bug splats and that's basically 
an indicator of lower insect population. So once this particular German study kind of, once the news, whatever, caught wind of it, they started to tout the, the phrase insect Armageddon. I don't know who coined that phrase, but it started kind of making its rounds. And it, of course, fueled, I mean, Armageddon is not a great word. It fueled a lot of those fears, not unduly. I also noticed that insect, that there, you know, let's say, um, a street light at night, which in the past would have had a lot of moths around it, maybe has a few, but it also might not have any. And um, what once you look into it a little bit more, what the general feeling is, yes, there are studies that show that there are insect population decreases in particular areas. However, the um, the breadth of the in the global insect population is so huge and largely unstudied in a lot of places. I am paraphrasing all of this, obviously. That um, it, it's kind of too difficult to say if this is a global issue or if it's an issue in developed areas. So is it, you know, they definitely know that um, light pollution at night affects, let's say, like lightning bug populations. I grew up playing, playing with like, chasing lightning bugs and trying to catch them and stuff in the summertime. And for a lot of people, they have noticed that that activity has decreased a lot. And that can partly be due to human behavior. So if you have um, fewer insects hitting your windshield, it could be because the insects are finding that existing near a highway is not a is not an ideal habitat so they relocate or the numbers decrease and those that survive relocate something like that so efforts to kind of reduce light pollution i don't know what you do about the highway issue um and and then it's like in kind of like the southern hemisphere there's just like going into the rainforest for example there is an unbelievable unaccounted for amount of insect life there that researchers are working on looking into but nobody's got hard numbers on it so what the study you know what I have read so far on the whole concept of an insect Armageddon is that we can say that there are decreases in particular areas. If it's a global issue, that we can't say yet. Um, 
And the whole thing that got me started on this is the insect population was okay in our kitchen when we found out we had moths, which was a really unpleasant surprise. But now we've got all our, we've got everything in Tupperware and nicely labeled. And I have to say that it looks much nicer. <laughs> um, so I don't mind that part. It was kind of a good outcome. Um, and now I don't have anywhere to go. And so of course my instinct is to go toward current events, what's happening in the news, but I don't want to, you know, throw my two cents in because it's like what I know that my opinion is like again I think again I said I because I said this in the episode yesterday that no one will ever hear I try to be very fair even when people who maybe I would agree with don't want me to be fair I try to be fair I try to be empathetic I do I try to sympathize? I don't know that I sympathize with people who I really think are not looking at things correctly, but I empathize with the feelings of fear that they may have. And that allows me to be a compassionate person. And um, I that's for me, me personally, I need to be compassionate for me to live with myself. I need to be aware that other people could look at my opinions and think that I'm crazy and that I'm looking at things all wrong and whatever else. I guess I would not be <laughs> ruffling too many feathers that I'm cautiously hopeful about what will come in 2021. <laughs> oh my god. Is that a haiku? Oh my god, I have to count that. <clears throat> Let's see. Oh, fuck off. Cautiously hopeful about what will come in 2021. Cautiously hopeful about what will come in 2021. It's not really a haiku, <clears throat> but I do really like that. Oh my god. How fucking funny is that? <laughs> oh my god, that's really good. Um, <laughs> that, that's how I feel. I feel cautiously hopeful. <laughs> and, um... 
you know, that's, I wish that people felt that way. I know a lot of people do or they're trying to. And as I've said before, when Trump took office four years ago to the day, just about, I, well, rather when he was elected, you know, if I'm being honest, I felt like nothing would make me happier if this president proved everybody wrong, proved all the naysayers wrong, and if he was a fantastic president. Now, I guess I am going to throw my two cents in (laughs) because I feel like I'm being fair. I feel like I've really looked into this and I'm being fair. I I do feel that in a sense the mainstream media was dogged in their re- reporting on Trump as a president and um so I've looked into what kind of things that he do as a president, you know, not the, not just sort of the, like, bashing him or whatever. And what I really found is that he <clears throat> did things that, and I'm not, I'm not getting into crimes and I, I'm not even clear on all of that, Okay. I'm talking things that he enacted, things that he tried to do for the country that he believed would be beneficial for the people, okay? Um, and they were not things that, like any other Republican president, wouldn't have done. Is that the right kind of sentence? They were normal things for a Republican president to do. They weren't exponentially wonderful they weren't crimes against humanity they were normal things for a president to do a republican president to do and that's fine that's fair it's not what he said he would do which was to drain the swamp and kind of he certainly was a Washington outsider you can't deny that and I think for a lot of people the Trump presidency has provided a an opportunity an unavoidable opportunity to really look in take a long hard look in the mirror as a country and as a people, and as politicians, and um, even as family members, friends, uh, journalists, I think that the the Trump saga provides. A really golden opportunity to really look to really reflect on 
who you are as a person, who we are as people. Maybe you're not American and it still brings up a sense of self-reflection. I think that self-reflection in response to the Trump administration is far less damaging on a personal level than judging other people, thinking that they're crazy and you're not. Because let me tell you something, you're crazy too. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. Absolutely. Um, so I feel that although I know that this, you know, the events of yesterday are leaving a lot of people feeling really disappointed, um, crushed, sad, um, despondent, absolutely terrified. Whereas other people feel really happy and optimistic and some people feel like, all right, it's better than that, but it's not great. And, you know, there's a, there's a really wide range of emotions going on right now. And, um... I just hope that everybody, everyone will have an opportunity to take a breath, and, um, I don't know. You're going to have to figure out a way to move on. You're going to have to figure out a way to move forward, you know? And you might feel like other people didn't do that four years ago. It doesn't matter what other people did four years ago. Do you understand that? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Is that enough of my two cents? My pretty meaningless two cents because everybody has their own everybody has their own two cents I have just I'm just somebody who was gifted a microphone and <laughs> decided to express some of my two cents at least um <clears throat> Well, now I really have no, now I, so I did what I wasn't really wanting to do and I expressed my two cents and now I really have no idea where to go from here. I guess I could talk very briefly about the episode that I did yesterday, which was on American folklore. And um, so I'll just run down some of the stories that I talked about. So... The first two stories I talked about were The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle. I'm assuming if you're curious, you're going to Google these stories, who were both, which were both written by uh, Washington Irving in the mid-1800s, I want to say, and 
they were both what are now like I don't know if you'd really consider them legends because they were just made up by somebody from the area but they were stories that I grew up with because I would say because they are stories from they're set in real places that are where I'm from essentially which is the Hudson Valley so the legend of Sleepy Hollow Sleepy Hollow is a real place and it uh, is set in like a time when the Dutch settlers were still there and then uh, Rip Van Winkle is set in the Catskills I think a lot of people know Sleepy Hollow because of the movie with Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci from 2002 or something. But if you don't, it's it's a really good story. <laughs> it's it's kind of cool and interesting and, um, you know, has an opportunity to be spooky at least. And, um, and then Rip Van Winkle is about a guy who fell asleep in like the Catskill Mountains and didn't wake up for 20 years and when he did he the, he had missed the American Revolution and everything had changed and the thing that's nice about these stories is that they're set at a time that in the American imagination it was a time when like the land was still as sort of as like God had intended it, you know, very woodsy. It's a very like New York in the past, the Hudson Valley used to be very woodsy. It's pretty built up these days. There is still plenty of wooded hikeable areas. Let's say that, um, especially the further North you get. So like the Catskills are still woodsy, rural, um, where I'm from, it's a lot more built up. Like every time I'm home my, and we see trees being knocked down or a building already going up, my sister and I joke that it's either going to be a Dunkin' Donuts or a federal credit union. <clears throat> um, but I, you know, these stories are kind of like meaningful to me because there is that um, just a... A connection from my childhood you know like I heard those stories growing up and um some other stories I talked about were well there's like this it's not really a story it's just a kind of a legendary character called Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox and Paul Bunyan is just based on oral storytelling from like loggers up in the northeast and he's just this giant, uh, like a really tall logger. I don't know where the blue ox fits into all of it. It's kind of like his familiar, you know. And then over time, like Paul Bunyan just became bigger and bigger until he was like, you know, the, the trees of the Northeast were like ankle height for him or something or waist height. So um, just taking on these really, ask like the the uh epitome of a tall tale meaning a, a story that just is more and more exaggerated i never saw what was that movie called big fish 
from, I don't know, 2000 maybe? I never saw that movie, but that would be a good example of what a tall tale is, I think. A tall tale is essentially like the story of the big fish, you know? You caught like a you caught like a sunny and it turns out to be this gigantic fish when you're telling the story. Like my moth story. That that is kind of like a tall tale. You know, to me the moth was absolutely gigantic. Uh and you might picture like what's that oh what's that Japanese character Matra or something? I don't want to say that wrong. Uh, let me Google that really quickly. Mothra? Mo isn't it Mothra? Ooh. Mothra. I, yeah. <laughs> Basically, that's what you might be picturing in the moth story. And that's how it felt. <laughs> um, and what was another story I talked about yesterday? I talked about the story of Br'er Rabbit and the Tar Baby. And that's a story from the American South, and it was popular. I'm not from the South, of course. I'm from New York. So I didn't grow up with that story, really. But this, the Br'er Rabbit as a character has been, like, it's a f character that's around. You see it in African storytelling, Jamaican storytelling, Native American storytelling. So it's this figure of, like, the rabbit being, like, a smart trickster who can get away from the traps that he's put in. And as I'm describing it, I realize I'm describing Bugs Bunny. And I have to wonder if the concept for Bugs Bunny wasn't based on Br'er Rabbit, which is something that I did not think about yesterday. I'm really curious about that now. Um, Bugs? Bunny, Br'er, Rabbit. That's really funny. I never made that connection before. I mean, I think that's just kind of... Um, Alright, I looked up a website called universallifechurch.org. You know, I don't know any of their credentials. Is an article from October 17th, 2019. It's entitled, From Kalulu the Hare to Bugs Bunny, Trickster Lagomorph Legends. It sounds very interesting. But I want to skip ahead to... They have a section that specifically is Br'er Rabbit and Bugs Bunny. So let's see what this website says. African trickster rabbit tales eventually came to the Americas in new forms. And that's where things got a little sticky because guess how they came from Africa to America? Yeah. That, you know, when I started talking about that, I felt like I'm out of my depth here. Like, I can't talk about this and feel like I'm doing justice to the nature of the topic. Um... But I feel comfortable reading a brief. It's not that I feel like I can't talk about slavery in any sense or, uh, you know, African storytelling. Of course, I feel like I can talk about that. But it's not an area that I know a lot about. 
You know, I know some very scant things, but I think it's okay to, <laughs> to feel like I don't want to talk about it because I don't know that much about it, you know? So anyway, uh, elements of Br'er Rabbit stories share similarities with Anansi's fables. Anansi, as I read yesterday, is a similar kind of smart character who can get out of traps. Anansi is a spider, though. Uh, but the National Humanities Center explains that Br'er Rabbit came to life within African-American folklore in the Deep South. Since they wrote slaves, I heard the term enslaved people sometime in the past couple months, and I thought that's a nicer term. So I'm going to change that. Since enslaved people were not permitted literacy, I think the term just gives the humanity back to the to those people. Um, their oral, their oral traditions were key in transmitting these narratives. Br'er Rabbit often bested his antagonists, reflecting how slave, enslaved people sorry, endured oppression while fighting back in both subtle and overt ways. With the well-established history of folklore figures like Br'er Rabbit and Kalulu, I don't know anything about Kalulu, that, that didn't come up yesterday, it's not hard to see similarities in modern characters such as Bugs Bunny. One Redditor referred to him as a karmic trickster who TV Tropes, a website, good website too, describes as specializes in unstuffing stuffed shirts, deflating puffed up egos, trivializing the self-important, and confusing know-it-alls. The entry later states that Bugs Bunny was partially based on Br'er Rabbit. That's no surprise given Bugs' penchant for outsmarting everyone from Elmer Fudd to Daffy Duck. Now the thing about it is, and this was also something that <laughs> I felt like I didn't know enough about it, but I'm obviously going to start talking about it here, is that the stories of Br'er Rabbits, as I just said, were oral traditions with um, African Americans in the deep south and it was sort of a way for them to talk about their experience in a kind of covert way and um the stories were taken not taken i i think that probably the stories got passed wider around to the white population of the south and a writer used those stories to published books so he published a lot of works about Br'er Rabbit his name was Joel Handler something like that <clears throat> and it just made me think that something that was really important for the enslaved population the oppressed population kind of got taken and used for like the masses it feels a little unfair you know it feels it feels kind of unfair and it's so funny that you know now with the creation of Bugs Bunny I don't know that somebody uh said oh let's just call Br'er Rabbit Bugs Bunny you know it could have just been that the concept for Br'er Rabbit 
or a a smart trickster rabbit was kind of in the general storytelling psyche of Americans, their experience, and just through naturally thinking of funny characters, this long-standing figure came up. So that's being, that's me trying to be fair and thinking, trying to think rationally and logically about that rather than saying that, you know, the creators of Bugs Bunny heard the Br'er Rabbit story and stole it. I don't know if that happened, but I find that interesting. I mean, there's, I just never made that connection before. So that's some of the stories that I covered yesterday. I can't remember any of the others that I talked about. And, you know, so I did just touch on the stuff that I felt like I, I wasn't really knowledgeable enough to touch on, but maybe I have had, you know, I could sleep on it and come back to it and feel like I'd processed some of the information that I read about yesterday and um, just come to it with a more personal interpretation of it. And maybe that is something else that I should do for these episodes is, you know, do my research, talk about it, and then don't publish that episode. (laughs) But rather take a day and think about it. You know, just take in that information, process it, and and then just see what happens when I get on the mic. Which, that's also been part of the whole thing with this podcast, and even this second generation of it, is um, just trying to allow the journey to take me wherever it's going to take me and um, enjoying it while I'm doing it. Um, And I have really enjoyed it. You know, it's been a really, it's injected something into my life it's it's created an outlet for me that I really like desperately needed I really needed this place to go and put my my world and it's been invaluable to have um so I kind of feel like that is the high note that you want to go out on. <laughs> and we're at 45 minutes, so that's a nice, that's a nice cushy time to leave. Um, thank you so much for listening. And um, yeah, I hope you have a great day wherever you are. Great night. And I hope that the weather is seasonable for your area. 
talk to you later.